Tonight we will continue reading from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's word. Let's pray and look at James chapter 1 together. Almighty God, you're a good father to his children. You don't want to leave us uncertain of what is right, what is wrong. You don't want to leave us in a state of confusion or deception. Uh, And so you give us uh, very clear, blunt sort of warnings, such as this one in James chapter 1. Would we hear it rightly? There's bound to be a variety of people here this evening. So would we hear your word rightly, we pray, and respond with faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, most people like a good heist movie uh, or a good sort of con sort of movie, I think. Uh, And they're normally very cleverly done. So um, for years, I think about eight years, uh, the BBC ran Hustle, uh, the TV series, and a sort of a likeable bunch of rogues who would con people out of vast sums of money. And it was always set up nicely. So the people, the mark that they would con would always be absolutely despicable. So even though these were criminals stealing his money, you still rooted for them. That's the way it's all set up. And uh, it's great, great. And there's always the sort of the moment, the reveal uh, towards the end when, uh, how did they do that? And ta-da, you've lost all your money. And uh, we like those sort of films. So sort of the the bad guy gets the sort of comeuppance. Or uh, being somewhat out of date, I only saw two weeks ago uh, the film Now You See Me. Have you seen that one? With the four magicians, four magicians pulling off uh, an extraordinary succession of heists, uh, robbing a vast bank in Paris while being uh, in Las Vegas, and all sorts of very, very clever things. And of course, you watch these things and think, oh, how, how have they done it? How, what's the trick? And always again, towards the end, you get the reveal, oh, that's how they've sort of deceived everyone. And we quite like those sort of things. Um, uh, the only problem is, or the clever, the, the sort of clever nature of the film is, when you're watching them, you're thinking now, how are they going to do that? And who is the bad, who's, who's the good guy? Who's the, there's always someone who isn't what they seem, and they leave you a little trail of breadcrumbs so you can try and kind of guess who it is, and then 
It's not them, it's them over there. And the audience is deceived as well. And we quite like that. We go, oh, I should have seen it all along. And those sort of things. We like them. We like them. It's sort of deceptions or, or, or cons or heists, those sort of things. Now, I tell you that just to warm you up, really, for no other good reason. Apart from, you get to James chapter 1, it's all about deception. And a warning, really, not to be deceived. In large part, the book of James is a book designed to prevent spiritual self-deception. And James would say it's quite possible to, to think you're a Christian believer and you are not. And, or to assume the way you're living the Christian life is fine when it is not. And so he'll say repeatedly, please don't be deceived. If you were here last time, we saw that people deceive themselves about the nature of temptation. Chapter 1 and verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Uh, temptations come from within, not from God. People give in to temptation and say, well, there's nothing I can do about that. And last week James said, yes, there's plenty you can do about that. Don't be deceived. And here again tonight, you get it a further two occasions. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Literally deceive their hearts. James is saying, us humans, we have quite a propensity to delusional thinking. And we need the word of God to expose ourselves. So that we're not confused. So that we don't make a mistake about where we stand before the Lord. Here is the truth that we need. And James will give us three little tests in this section. I mean, there's many throughout the letter. Uh, three little tests here. I put them on the sheet. Don't get angry. Listen. Don't just hear. Do. Don't keep talking. Care. Very simple tests. And we'll just work through them in a moment. But before we get going, there is just a problem with, with a tests or series of tests such as this. Because we hear them in different ways. Three tests. Are you a genuine Christian? Do you pass? Do you pass? Do you pass? But we're varied here this evening. Let me put it this way. At my gym, where I uh, uh, visit every couple of months, the, um, uh, there's a poster normally up, uh, which uh, the poster says in very large block capitals, how fit are you really? Well, I've got an idea. Anyway, how fit are you really? Take your health checkup to see. Now, I, t- I assume that some people look at that sign and think, how fit are you really? Well, I'm very impressive, actually. I'm uh, very impressive indeed. I could take the test, but I don't need to because I'm fully aware that I'm a fine specimen. You know, because there are one or two that spend quite a lot of time on one weight, on one arm, in the mirror Quite look at those. There's quite a few of those characters around, and so um, I reckon they probably think they're very fit and healthy, and, and don't bother. I assume there's also others who look at that poster and think, "Oh, I don't want to test. I mean, or, or, or I should I should go and have the test. I should go and have the test. I really should go and have the test because I've got all sorts of things wrong with me. They're sort of they're hypochondriacs. And they, what is not only just my heart. What is my heart rate? My heart rate. It's, it's something over something. I've no idea what those numbers mean. I've never known what they mean, but they seem very small, large, high, whatever it is. Now, one person could look upon the poster and think, "Yeah, I'm fine." Another person look upon it and slightly panic. 
that the same is true with our moral consciences. So some, I can say to you, well, I could easily say to you this evening from, jo- uh, from James, you should need to stop getting angry and listen more to people. And you'll think, yes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just get angry all the time. I just get angry all the time. And really, you don't. You're just very tender conscienced. There are some, I'll say, stop being angry and listen to people. And you think, oh, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, you do. Ask anyone in the room. So there is just that challenge when you come to a passage such as this. Some of us, in one sense, have the conscience of a rhino's skin. And you could fire a spear from a cannon at them, and nothing would penetrate. Nothing. They just think they're fine. Others have the sort of conscience uh, of a flaccid, or no, a a tightly uh, inflated balloon, and just the merest glance of a pin, and off it goes. So I don't know how self-aware you are, but you've got to have that sort of filter going on because, as we've said the last couple of weeks, James is black and white. You're either with God or you're against him. You're either on the path which leads to the crown of life and righteousness or on your path which leads to death. He's binary all the way through. And so when you come to, uh, one sense, you could say a, a three little tests of whether you're deceived or not. Maybe you need someone else this evening or afterwards just to help you filter them, go through them. Some of us have the conscience of a Putin. There's nothing wrong, ever. Nothing wrong with my Olympic team. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong. Just didn't, no, just, some of us are sort of spiritual hypochondriacs. We think everything is wrong with us. Yeah. I don't know. I can't speak at all of you, as it were. So you've got to have that filter in place. Three little tests of reality, then. Uh, first, uh, don't get angry. Listen. Don't just hear. Do. Don't keep talking, care. First then, verses 19 and 20. Don't get angry, listen. Verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, speech is a big issue for James, and he's just following the teaching of Jesus that what, is, what comes out of the mouth is, is the, uh, the overflow, the effluent of the heart. It just comes out. You can't stop it doing that sort of thing. Now, verse 19 is probably not that hard for most of us to relate to. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Most of us would have found ourselves involved at some point or other in a discussion and the temperature gets a little bit heated and we find ourselves saying, but you need to listen to me. But you misunderstood everything entirely. We just need to spurt our our language out. And we just shout it out. Most of us at some point get to that. Perhaps only internally. I, I think I'm a little better than this most of the time, but I do occasionally find myself literally, physically sitting on my hands as a sort of reminder, you're irritated, aren't you? Yes. Don't speak. I'm not going to. I don't sure how sitting on my hands stops my mouth from working, but it kind of works uh, in that sort of sense. But we know that sense of, I'm not listening to you because I need to say this. That's what he's saying. He's warning against. Why is it so hard? Well, often we're arguing because we care on not so much that we care about the issue. We just hate being ignored. 
We just want people to take us seriously. And so James would say, don't blurt out in anger. Listen, not just to the words, but what's going on. Why is that person so irritated? Why are they upset? Don't tell someone what to do. Don't demand. Take time to listen and understand. Stage me yesterday reminded a friend of mine used to say, uh, yeah, in a conversation, whenever you feel yourself warming, zip and cup, zip and cup, zip and cup. It may work for you, doesn't really work for me, but um, I forget, zip and cup, zip and cup. That's what he meant. Just shut it and listen. Yeah, that's kind of what James is saying. It's hard, isn't it? I remember as a young Christian at university being uh, somewhat dogmatic in discussion. Um, I was probably right, uh, but undoubtedly obnoxious in how I put my opinions across. And um, I remember on one occasion having some debate about something or other, and uh, this friend just getting frustrated and more and more frustrated, uh, and eventually she burst out. I was reading uh, uh, history and politics at the time. That was my passion and things I got excited about. We weren't talking about that. We were talking about something Christian. But eventually she got frustrated and said, well, it's not fair. Your degree teaches you how to construct arguments. My degree just teaches me how to save people's lives. Ooh. <laughs> ooh, ooh. But I realized at that point, yeah, I, I quite like a little, a little argument. And to which James would say, be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, why is it? Why does it matter so much? Verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Righteousness here, not, as it gets used often in the New Testament, as a legal status. Righteousness as a gift. Righteousness as a coat that Jesus gives us. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him and he gives it. Not that legal sense of righteousness, but an internal, ethical Righteousness, our own behavior, is what he's talking here. Now, that's not what God desires anger, unsurprisingly. He doesn't like it. So two things we're told to do. Verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, first. Second, humbly accept the word planted in you. It's a striking picture, verse 21. Get rid of all moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent. It's a sort of sense of a constant battle. It's just always there. This evil of wanting to justify yourself, wanting to speak out, not listening to others. It's just a sort of prevalent. It's a bit like, uh, if you had this experience this week, you decide, oh, we'll have a little picnic. And uh, you put your... Blanket, not blanket, rug down uh, on the, a bit of grass. And you think, oh, it's nice, a nice spot. And then you realize, oh, there's ants. And you brush them off. There's more ants. And you brush them off. And then you realize you're on top of an ant mountain. Of, well, mountain is a bit strong, isn't it? Uh, an ant hill, that's the word. An ant hill of some kind. And they just keep coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming. And they keep saying, oh, look at his fruit. And, oh, get away, get away, get away. And they just, pray, they just keep coming and keep coming. It's that sort of picture. We can't. Stop being angry straight. You know, it's a battle. No one here says, well, yeah, I used to get angry, uh, but I stopped that in 1997. And uh, it was good. I? No, it's, it's a prevalent thing. It, this desire to speak out, justify, listen to me, listen to me, take me seriously. Oh, it's a prevalent thing. 
So you've got to keep at it. Now, how do you keep at it? Well, the second thing here is humbly accept the word planted in you. When you become a Christian, God plants new life within you. Plants his word is is one way of expressing it in the Bible. I call it new life inside you. Or his spirit within you. But there's a new beginning inside you when you become a Christian. God has planted something and it will grow. You have to, James says, allow God's word to spread and grow in you. Well, what does that mean? Practically. Okay, if I'm going to stop being angry and if I'm, I'm going to listen to people uh, and not shoot my mouth off, I need to humbly accept the word planted in me. Excellent. Meaning what? Meaning, verse 22. Don't just hear, do. Verses 22 to 25. Here's what it means to humbly accept the word. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. That does not require any level of explanation from me, really. He is simply saying, if you hear a sermon and do nothing with it, just it washes over you, then you are not allowing the word to dwell humbly in you and you will not be changed you will struggle to control what you say if you merely listen to sermons but do nothing about them you're deceiving yourself if you read the bible on your own with others in a study and you don't resolve to ever think differently your your thinking's not changed your emotions are not changed your behavior is not changed then you are deceiving yourself, James would say. Golly. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, just to be clear, he's making an assumption here. James is not encouraging narcissism, just in case you're wondering. You can't read this and say, well, it's an interesting sermon, uh, and James tells me I need to spend more time looking at myself in the mirror. He's not saying that. There's an assumption here that most people, I say that nervously, most people, most mornings, look in the mirror and go, yeah, it's all right, uh, and off they go. Now, some of you might take slightly longer than that. That's the, the benefit, you know, not much there. It doesn't take much longer, you know, and uh, off you go and you get crack on with things. You might take slightly longer, but not many of us look in the mirror in the morning and think, now, what's different from today? What's different today compared to yesterday? Not many gays and gays and gays. I've had uh, one or two issues with them. Oh, it doesn't really matter. The, the detail gets a bit boring. But uh, uh, melanomas on the skin, you know, suspected nasty things, and they've never been any, they've been fine. But I'm meant to, I'm not very good at it, meant to take a photo every year of a sort of close-up and compare them to see if there's any sort of change in coloration. or Because you, you have to do that, because no one ever notices day by day that you, things have changed. It's kind of his point. They wouldn't know, most people, if they just have a cursory glance in the mirror. And so he's saying, look, 
the person who hears the word of God but fails to do anything about it, they're like that. They gaze in the mirror and just go away and what's changed? I don't know. Nothing's changed. I can't tell the difference at all. Verse 24. You see, anyone who, well, let me forget verse 23 again. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says like someone who looks at his face in a mirror after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets what he's like. Now, many of us know that experience. You listen to a sermon, read the Bible, you make some banal comment. That was nice. It was a bit long. A bit warm tonight, wasn't it? Yeah, I fell asleep at 10 2. And um, we made those sort of banal, trivial comments, uh, and then we move on. And if you were asked, what changes are you going to make to your life? What changes are you going to make to how you think about the Lord, relate to Him as a result of? whatever it is tonight, this sermon, uh, um, I don't know. Well, don't deceive yourselves. If There's never a resolution. You've got to be realistic. Not every sermon changes our lives in a way we can measure. But if you're never conscious, oh, I need to do something about that. God, I didn't realize that. Oh, isn't that wonderful how God does that? If you're never conscious of any of those things, It's awkward, says James. By contrast, verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Isn't that great? The perfect law that gives freedom. For James, that's simply the law as Jesus interpreted it, synonymous with the word of God. So what are we meant to do? It's quite straightforward. One, Look intently. Two, don't forget it. Three, do it. That's what Christians are meant to do. Studying the Bible takes some work when you dig away at it. But that is how you avoid forgetting. You sort of invest some time, think hard about it. What does that mean? I don't know. And you, the, A superficial reading, we can all do that. But it's when you sort of dig and sort of grapple Often that's when it's a bit more memorable. And then you do it. you just got to do it. About 10 days ago, I had a little operation on my back. And uh, now I've been given a sort of uh, a healthy, chunky handout of uh, exercises from the physio. And um, they're all sort of pictures, which I, mean, I guess is meant to be helpful to me. I'd rather have words. It sort of just helps me understand. Because some of these pictures, you sort of think, okay, I'll do that. And then you get down and do the whatever it is, an inverse plank or whatever they want to call it. And, uh, and you think, well, I could do this all day. I, you know, it's a bit like doing this. Um, that can't be right. And so you go back and you look carefully at the picture again and think, oh, no, I'm meant to have one leg off the floor and one behind my neck. And, uh, and you, sort of, you sort of have to keep, I keep going back and look intently at these things until I've got it right. Because I desire to be free from pain. That's the objective of doing these things, having had the op. And in a slightly similar way, James is saying, no, look, the word of God brings transformation to your character, but you need to understand it. So you do need to gaze intently, not just gaze through it, but understand it rightly, uh, remember it, and do it. Uh, And the outcome of doing it is freedom. It's very wonderful. Don't get angry, listen, don't just hear, you've got to do it. Last, uh, verse 26, 27, don't keep talking, care. Verse 26, 
Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Briefly, because James is just trailing, as it were, three issues that he's going to come back to later on in this letter. So you get the three little issues here of the tongue, he'll get back, come back to in chapter 3, care for the helpless in chapter 2, uh, moral purity, which is uh, chapters 4 and 5, really. But he starts off, just brief comments then, you get this wonderful equestrian picture that he'll come back to. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. The picture is of the tongue as a wild horse, this sort of thing, uh, a wild horse raging out of control. And so you need to get it under control. Some of you may ride horses. I have no great experience. The only time I've ever ridden a horse for a day uh, is a group of eight of us. They all got their horses. I was the last one. The bloke looked me up and down and then shouted to someone, get Hercules. (laughs) Hercules. Hercules sounds like an absolute beast. But then, of course, this Dobbin, about one day off retirement, uh, came out and it was fine. I tried to pull on the reins. He would look back at me with sort of very sad eyes saying, mate, I've done this route about 500 times. We ain't going anywhere, but what I want to go anywhere is that sort of thing. But a wild horse, a wild horse, that's what the tongue is like, says James. And if you can't control them over time, if there's no progress, well, verse 26, the person who makes no progress in controlling their tongues deceives themselves. I'm not sure there's any virtue in naming her, but uh, I read an article recently with a uh, a columnist. She's very famous, 50-year-old columnist, music, and all sorts of columnists. She's worked with many newspapers. She currently writes uh, for The Sun. Um, It's an interesting article. She claimed that uh, she'd become a Christian a couple of years ago. Uh, But then she wrote this. I tell you one thing that my Christianity hasn't helped me with. I've got a lot bitchier. I sort of feel that when I do voluntary work in the community, it gives me a license to be really bitchy. There's a sort of moral trade-off. One of my main pleasures in life is to be spiteful. I'm going to turn 50 in July. I'm a bit old to change now. And I think James would say, are you sure? Are you sure you're not deceiving yourself there? It's not okay just to be bitchy in print and think, well, it's all right, I'll hand out some soup and that sort of cancels one another out. Are you sure you've understood things? By contrast, verse 27, James would say, look, here's acceptable religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Two things here, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Practical compassion and moral purity. Now, he's going to say much more about these two, but it's quite interesting that he just chucks those two out. Because I think lots of people are good naturally or temperamentally at one. So some people will say, yeah, look, I'm good at feeding the homeless. That's what I do. That's what my faith looks like. I'm good at campaigning on moral issues, but what I do in my private life is completely up to me. 
Or by contrast, others would say, no, I live a life of moral probity. I'm down the line morally. I just can't be bothered with any acts of compassion. That's what the charities do. I'm not interested in that. And James is saying, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. It's both of those things. And that's a ground where I think it is quite easy to be deceived. I'm a good Christian because I'm a moral one. Or I'm a good Christian because I'm an activist. The fact that I am sleeping with 10 people every night while being an activist is neither here nor there. The fact that I'm moral but I'm utterly heartless. You can't do that. You can't do that. You've got to hold these things together, says James. So don't be deceived. Oh, we'll get there more in chapter 2, but just a, a, a tangent, really, a brief comment on this. Um, what does it mean that, uh, to look after orphans and widows in their distress? I guess with the background from the Old Testament, there's always a triumvirate in the Old Testament, the orphan, the widow, the alien. Those are the three that God often mentions as being, you've got to care for them, you've got to care for them. And I guess you'd have to say if, from James, we'll get there in chapter 2, that God is committed to caring for those neglected by the world. God, you might even say, has a bias in his compassion towards those who are neglected by the world. So you just turn over chapter 2, verse 15. We won't look at anything else. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well, but nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is that? Hopeless. It's no good at all. Now, the, the New Testament would say, look, there's a priority. There's a priority for the church. That's why he's talking about brothers and sisters here. Uh, and then secondly, for those who are not members of the church. There is a priority, but here it's, it's the church. Now, for, for you and for me in a church such as ours, I guess we don't have many orphans. We don't have many widows. A few single mums. I guess the question is for people like that or or, or on the fringes, those who are without, are we making sure that they're cared for? Practical things, babysitting, a meal every now and again. Three steps, or sorry, three little tests that James gives. Look, don't deceive yourself. If you're living the Christian life, you don't get angry, you listen. You don't just hear, you do. You don't keep talking, you care. Now, who are you and how do you need to hear it? Let me just try and apply this. Let me try and apply this to three, in three different ways. The first is this. The first are those who aren't Christians, whether they realize that's their condition or not. The, the columnist I mentioned. Oh, I don't know. It's not my place to call her what, what condition she's in. But to say it's fine to be bitchy and pu- publicly slander people, uh, or libel them. Um, I'm not so sure. okay. Why do people deceive themselves? Often it's because you just can't face the truth. Uh, 
uh, a couple of years ago, we, um, my father had had uh, on and off health issues for a while. There was clearly something wrong with him. It took him over a year to go to the doctor, a year of nagging from my mother to go to the doctor. There was obviously something wrong with him. He didn't go, it turned out. He did go to the doctor eventually, uh, had cancer, as everyone expected, who knew him really. Why, didn't he, why did it take him so long to go? Silly man. Well, because for 80 years he'd had brilliant health and he just didn't want it to be true that it was coming to an end. Oh, that's complicated, but he didn't really want to face the fact that, oh, it's different, going to be different going forward. That was a large part of it. And for lots of people, maybe this columnist, she doesn't want to face up to the truth of Christianity because that would require a great deal of change. To become a Christian, you have to say, I don't deserve acceptance from God. I don't deserve to get into heaven. I need to trust in Jesus Christ. That's humbling. And my lifestyle needs to change because I now need to follow him as Lord. I need to stop going my own way. I need to go his way. I need to follow him as Lord and King. Now that requires a change in your life. And so therefore, lots of people don't want to do it. So it's much easier to say, I'm probably a Christian, aren't I? Because I help out at the soup kitchen. The fact that I'm bitchy with my language, well, I'm too old to change age 50. But I'm probably all right, aren't I? Because of how I do this thing once a week. You see, you don't have to change then. You persuade yourself you're okay, and then you don't change. I guess that's a part of it. I think that's true for many people. They delude themselves with a bit of voluntary work, a weekly visit to church, an occasional, hello Mary, hello God, whatever it may be. And think that's okay. And James says, that's not okay. Come on, you've got to face up to reality. You need to say, look, I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve acceptance by God. I need Jesus to die for me. And now I'm going to live differently for him. But that's a change. That's one group. Second little group, more briefly. I'm sure some of us here are tender conscienced and read a list such as this and think, golly, I can get angry. Golly. There are a lot of sermons. A lot of times I open the Bible and you can ask me half an hour later, what did you read? And I'll think, uh, 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 I think it was Psalms. Yeah, look, none of us are perfect. James is not asking for that. But are there signs of spiritual life? And and for many of us, and particularly those who are tender conscience, and if you're uncertain, you ask someone who knows you well, do you think I'm tender conscienced or do you think I'm like Putin and everything sort of bounces off me and you know, nothing I ever do is wrong? You can ask people. But for those of us who are tender conscienced and come to a list such as this, of course we need to look up and say, well, I've made mistakes, but Jesus has paid for them. And that's great. And that's wonderful. And go again. Look, there's some who probably aren't Christians. There's some of us who are Christians that just feel crushed by a list such as this. Then third little group. There are a number of us who are Christians but are struggling to live this way. And I think we need to know verse 25 more clearly. And here's what we struggle to believe and here's where we deceive ourselves perhaps. Verse 25, James will say, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. And many of us read that and think, yeah, well, I am a Christian, but I don't actually want to follow God's law, and I'm not sure that's the greatest way for me to be happy. 
And James would say, no, you're deceiving yourself. Because the greatest way for you to know blessing, for you to know joy, is to listen and understand God's word and do it. And don't deceive yourself on that. It really is the way to freedom and blessing. Let me finish with this. A little while ago, I got an email from someone who was here uh, a couple of years ago for a block of time. They were here for four years uh, here in London. And uh, something recently happened in their life caused them to uh, put pen to page or finger to keypad as it is these days. And write. I won't read it all, but let me just read you a little extract of what they wrote. It was a letter to me, so you have to sort of filter it in those sense. Dear Matt, uh, recent events have been a real challenge to me also to reflect upon the time I spent in London. Hearing you preach God's word each week at a time of my life that needed it so much. I had been battling sexual sin and an inappropriate relationship with someone who wasn't a Christian at the time, and it took me a long time to reach out for help. I lived in my denial. I lived with sexual guilt and shame. Now, many things said in sermons on Sunday, I hated. But they rang in my ears during the week. And slowly through the truth of God's word, I see how God has changed my heart. To hear those words, which initially came as rebuke, now to hear them as joyful music, to hear them as words of hope and God's love for his children, turning me away from guilt and shame and into his forgiveness and a new life. I am so amazed by God's love and grace and provision. He never lets us go, no matter how far we ourselves try to run and how we run. Now, I read that because it's a very striking example of what I think James is saying. There was, in this case, a young woman who heard the word of God and didn't like it. But it was planted in her heart. God had done that. And over time, she thought, no, this is right. Words which had been rebuke, she came to hear as joy. And so don't deceive ourselves we mustn't do that and think we're happier running away from God and his word James would say no verse 25 that's the path of blessing that's the path of freedom so I don't know who you are in one sense if your conscience is hard if your conscience is tender don't be deceived and some the question really is so what are you going to do now what are you going to do now you've heard the word of God and some of you need to be told, I do nothing, you're fine. Stop introspection, leave it alone. Others, what are you going to do? And you need to stop being deceived. Turn back to Jesus Christ. Know forgiveness. Know the freedom and blessing of following him as Lord. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we, for those of us who are yours and know you and love you, thank you that the word of God has been planted in us. Please, would you be at work? 
please would that word uh, be bearing fruit uh, even this hour, this night, this week? Would we be those who humbly accept it, who do it, who make changes uh, in response to the truths that we hear, to the truths that we read? Uh, And Father, wherever we are before you, would you give us truth? Would we not be self-deceived? Would we understand rightly that the Christian life is one of repentance and faith in you? And so would we leave those lives? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.